You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you, take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This is the word of the Lord, and is given for our good. Thanks be to God. Let's pray, and then we're going to spend some time reflecting on this passage. Would you first bow your heads and pray with me? O Lord, now we come before you and hold you to your promise that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so now as we reflect upon this, your word, would it go out from my lips, go into our eardrums and into our minds and hearts in such a way that it bears fruit, it softens, hardens, hardened hearts, it gives hope to those who are without hope, it gives joy to those who are downcast. Father, as you promised, work powerfully through your word. Be with, with each and every one of us as our phones are, sh- are sure going to call for our attention, as will many other things. Father, reveal to us your son, Jesus Christ, most clearly, that we might find ourselves caught up in worship of him. Be especially also, Lord, with the one who preaches, for you know his sins are many. Work powerfully through your word for the sake of Christ, we ask. Amen. Well, between the Super Bowl and the Winter Olympics, I feel as though I've watched more commercials in the past couple of weeks than I've watched for many, many years. And there's one message that I find abundantly clear in all the commercials, and it's this, that despite the economy, despite the fact that many people are suffering and many people are sick, the good life, like the life filled with amazing, amazing joy and experiences, it is, it is so attainable for each and every one of us. That if we just had this consumer product or we just had this experience, if we just had uh, this sort of uh, trading platform, access to this cryptocurrency, well, you know, the life that you're currently leading could become the life that you dream. It's so close. You're just missing one little consumer electronic device or you're just missing one little experience. 
I felt this message over and over and over again. This idea that sort of you are, I am the hero, that I really have the potential laden inside of me to unlock the good life. All I'm missing is one piece of consumer electronic, uh, you know, products, one, one experience, one vacation. And I can't help but think into that world that I am speaking to, a world that is overly marketed, a world where you're hearing all day long, listen, you just need this and you'll live the good life. Jesus' words here are a slap in your face. Because he doesn't just say, you actually are pretty gifted, and I have come along to be a guide to show you the way. You know, you actually are pretty intellectually savvy, and I have come to reveal to you a little bit more of the truth on your quest so that you could attain the truth. You, you uh, are, are, are pretty strong and pretty vigorous with life. I've come to show you a workout regimen to take your life to the next level. Jesus doesn't say anything like that. He says, I am the way the truth, and the life. Unbelievably exclusive message to a crowd like us. And he slaps us in the face of this marketing technique which tells us that sort of we are the hero of our story and what we need in life is various products to take us to the end of our quest. Jesus says it's the exact opposite. He is the hero. And apart from him, there is no hope whatsoever. In this passage, I hope to make the case that Jesus is going to reveal to us that our need is so much deeper and so much more complex than we could even wrap our minds around, and yet the salvation he comes to offer, it's so much more thorough than you could ever, compl- you could ever understand. So here's what I want to look at this morning. The outline's simple. I had a bit of a busy week, and that's why the bulletins are riddled with typos, so thanks for your patience. No need to email me afterwards. I'm aware of a handful of them. <laughs> Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. I just, this is going to be the outline. I want to look at what it means that he's the way. And specifically, when he says he's the way, I want to look at the way he's more than just a guide for you in your journey, the way in which he is the way. When he says he is the truth, I want to look at the way he's more than just a teacher for you in your intellectual pursuits. And when he says he is the life, I want to look at the way he's more than just a doctor, sort of administering additional life to you. Okay, so that's where we're going, the way, the truth, the life. So first, Jesus says, I am the way. And in doing this, he's telling us not that he is some sort of guide that can point us towards the way in which, uh, the, the, the way in which we ought to be headed in our journey. He is saying he himself is the way. Now, let me paint something of the context in this passage. Uh, Jesus has just announced to his disciples in what John records in the previous chapter that he is soon to go away. He knows that his death is coming. And the disciples are frustrated, and they can't believe that their, whatever God was doing in, with and through them was about to break up. This was not what they saw coming. And in the midst of their anxiety, in the midst of their fear, they are riddled with questions as to where Jesus could be going. To make matters worse, Jesus tells them that one amongst their group, one amongst their tribe, is actually going to be the betrayer of Jesus. Peter, ever so bold, stands and says, Lord... You know, they all might betray you, but you better believe I will be at your side till the end. I will fight to the death. And Jesus says, Peter, you have no idea. You're you're soon to deny me. Jesus says he must go away. He must go to be with the Father. And Thomas, kind of true to character, says, Lord, where are you going? How do we know the way? This is the question that's on the disciples' mind. He's going to be the father to, to the Father's side. And Thomas says, How do we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way. I'm not a guide. I'm not a Sherpa that's going to help you navigate one of the most treacherous hikes of your life. I myself am actually the way. I am the way. I'm not a guide for you. You must understand 
It's more than that. I am the way. What is Jesus assuming? Well, first he's assuming something that I think we all agree upon. I think it would be unanimous that we're all on some type of journey. We're all sort of wandering vagabonds, that life presents itself never as a static uh, sort of moment. We're always heading somewhere. And in our more shallow moments, we think that where we're headed is maybe just a life of more comfort. We think if I can just get to 5.30 p.m., you know, then I will put on the elastic waistband pants. I guess this is prior to COVID. That's all we wear all day long anyway. But if I could just get through the workday, I could have the peace and comfort waiting for me that comes after the stress of work. This is my life's journey, is to get through work so that I can relax. Maybe in our more noble moments, we think of certain callings that we have, maybe callings to lay down our lives for our country or a noble job that, that in, encourages the flourishing of peace in the world. And we think our life is a journey building up to this point where we can advance a cause that's greater than ourselves. But one thing we all agree upon is, that the, is this, that life is being presented to us as something of a journey. There's, it feels that we're progressing to something. We might not all know what the goal is or even have a uniformed goal. But we know life isn't static. Something is happening to us. Something is happening to our bodies. I think this is why we're so enamored with so many stories about adventures and journeys. And Jesus is arguing that we indeed are on a particular journey. We are lost. Maybe one of the ways we could describe the story of the Bible is that um, we have found ourselves wandering away from the safety and comfort that comes from being with our Creator, with our Heavenly Father. And because we have uh, wandered away from his protective care, we actually find ourselves in a strange predicament because our, our first parents did this, and they have chosen to reject God's protection, reject God's authoritative word, and they then passed on that lostness to the children after them, and to the children after them, and to the children after them, and we get to this place now where we are a people who are on a journey, we're incredibly lost, and the mystery of it all is we don't even realize we lo- we're lost We think we're enjoying sort of wandering wherever we are, but deep inside we want to find our way home. We want to find that feeling of home. For some of us, that might just be the comfort of kicking up your feet and watching a television show, but we want the peace. We want the calmness, the tranquility that comes from being satisfied, being home. And the Bible is saying that is where all of our lives are progressing towards, finding this home. And yet, Because of our lostness, because of what has been passed on to us from our very first parents, we are a people who refuse to go home under the terms given to us by the master of the house. We would prefer to find and carve out our own ways to paradise. And this has resulted in us not advancing closer to our goals, but actually moving further and further away from finding this eternal home with our creator. And Jesus is saying this, Not just to people who know that they're lost, but to people who don't think they're lost. To people who think they're living a pretty good life, who think they have their act together and by and large think their lives are contributing to a noble cause. He's saying to you and to me, he's saying, I am the way. I am the way. There's no way you can ever get to that place called home by me pointing out to you the direction you should be heading. You have to just come to me. I am the way. Now, as I stated early in the sermon, Jesus is making one of the most exclusive claims, at least to to my mind, one of the most exclusive claims he makes in the entire Bible. It's a fairly harsh claim for him to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
And this is incredibly hard in our time and place, especially in a multicultural city like Toronto, to comprehend, right? Some of us drove past a mosque, walked past a mosque on our way here, and we immediately hear Jesus' exclusive statements, and we think, my goodness, this breeds division. This is going to put our city on edge against one another. This is going to create frustration and distance, neighbors staying away from one another. And by and large, something has happened in our city where we've all bought into this narrative that, that because it could be because Jesus' exclusive claims could create conflict, it's better to boil Jesus down to some kind of common denominator and assume that all religions in some senses are pursuing the same goal. You may have heard it in the form of a parable. I don't know. I'm sure others here have heard the parable of the, the king who calls his blind servants, and he puts before them an elephant, and none of these blind uh, individuals have ever interacted with an elephant. And so the first one, seeing the elephant, goes and touches the tusks and feels the, the hardness of the tusk and the pointy edge and says, aha, an elephant is like a spear. Another, another goes and touches the tail of the elephant and feels the tail uh, wagging to and fro and says, aha, an elephant is like a rope. The third goes and touches the elephant's ears and feels the wind moving as the ears flop and say, say uh, it says, ah, an elephant is like a fan. The fourth comes and touches the elephant's leg and says, an elephant is certainly like a tree. And so the parable goes, we are all just blind individuals trying to make sense of our creator who's so much greater and so much bigger than us. And we all have access to a different part of him or a different element of him. And because of that, we, we assume that our part represents the whole. And so the narrative goes, we ought to have a measure of humility as it relates to people of different faiths. Now, let me be the first to say, there's nothing wrong with having a measure of humility. Our world could do a whole, a whole lot more of it. But I don't know if the way towards being humble is pretending like the differences we have with other truth claims, other religious claims in our world, are uh, inconsequential. Because there's a problem with this parable, even though it sounds persuasive. It sounds good. And the problem was pointed out especially by uh, a thinker named Leslie Newbegin, bishop of the Church of South India in a generation past, a man who spent much time thinking about how religions collide and how religions conflict with one another. And he points out that this parable and this way of thinking, which my guess is, no matter how rigid and fundamentalist your upbringing may have been, this still sounds persuasive in a multicultural society. We've got to be a little bit careful being so arrogant. My guess is uh, that this sounds like a humble approach to these religious questions. And Newbegin points out that these are not a humble approach. In fact, these are an arrogant power play in and of themselves to be dismissive this way. He says that this, he, he argues that the reason it is arrogant to take this approach to these exclusive claims of various faith forms is because the assumption of the parable is there is someone who is a king who is all-knowing and can see all things. And the person who says, ah, I, I really like religions, but I think they're like the blind man trying to understand a part of the elephant, the assumption that that person has is that they are the all-seeing, all-knowing king. I can't think of anything more arrogant, dare I say paternalistic, than dismissing very exclusive faith claims that various religions make, most certainly Jesus' claim here, through this sort of parable way of thinking. Now, here's the deal. What am I, why, why do I bring this up? Jesus is absolutely uh, being exclusive in what he's saying by saying he is the way to the Father. When he says, there is no other way to get to me, it ha you have to go through me, he is absolutely being exclusive, and I don't want to downplay how serious this is. But I also want to reflect on this, that he's being incredibly inclusive as well. And you know why? Because it doesn't matter your bank account. It doesn't matter how beautiful you are or how talented you are. 
It doesn't matter the culture you grew up in or the language that your heart speaks. All are welcome. All are invited through Jesus to be restored to the Father. And so, yes, Jesus' words do put us on a crash collision in a multicultural society with a whole bunch of different faith commitments. However, these words do also remind us that everyone can have access through Jesus. Exclusive claims for a God who welcomes all. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter the sin that is plaguing you. It doesn't matter uh, the way you self-identify. It is of no consequence. All that matters is that Jesus is the way. This is what Jesus is arguing for. He is the way. Now, none of this proves to you that Jesus is the way. I, I hope, though, what I've made the case is, if you're here and you've heard Jesus' claims and you've wanted to keep them sort of on the plate of your life, you've heard his claims, but you don't quite want to ingest them yet. You want to save them. You, want, you don't want to take them too seriously yet. My hope is that you understand there is something dangerously arrogant about you assuming you know better and you, assuming you know how all these faith commitments hold together. Jesus is making a radically, a radically exclusive claim, and some of you may reject him, or some of you may welcome him, but one thing you cannot do is pretend that you can sort of hold this stuff at a distance, examine it later. So Jesus' claim is this, that there is a vast gap between you and your creator, and all of your longings deep in your hearts are, are for something that we might call home, but it is in the realm where your creator is. And he's saying, I am the way. The only way to traverse that gap is actually in and through me. It's not through some sort of long journey, heroic journey, filled with, laden with danger. It's actually just by coming to me. When you are with me, you have found the way to traverse the gap. Jesus is saying he is the way, and this means he's more than just a guide. He is actually the way. But next, he's going to say that he's the truth. And John has a lot to say about Jesus' claim that he's the truth. In John 8, Jesus has already said that, to his, that his disciples would know the truth and the truth will set him free. And by Jesus saying he is the truth, I want to focus your attention on the fact that he is showing himself to be more than just a teacher uh, for your intellectual pursuits. He's actually making a claim so much bigger. Numerous religious teachers have said, follow me and I will lead you towards the truth. Maybe something like a nirvana where you can finally reside in an inner harmony. Philosophers are still pursuing the truth. In fact, they'll give you PhDs on it ad nauseum at U of T for any pursuit of the truth. We don't seem to have found the end of it. Truth might be the scarcest of commodity. If there was a way we could have it scroll across the ticker of the TSX, it would always, always be on the rise. And Jesus' claim is unique. He's saying this, that truth is not an abstract system of integrated propositions. Nor is truth some sort of impersonal law code ethic that you have to obey. He's saying truth is something that is personal, and it is found in him and in him alone. Do you understand what he's saying? Now, in the context of this passage, I believe Jesus is, is making this claim in light of the truth that he is revealing the truth of what God is like. He, he's saying, uh, Philip asks in verse 8, show us the Father, and Jesus says, look, the Father and me are so united that his, my words come backed by his authority. Jesus' point is that he is the truth about God revealed to you. He's the truth about the, the one who created the world and existed in eternity past, made known to you at this very moment. But by him saying he is the truth, this is very, very good news to some of you. And you know why? You're here and you're trying to wrap your brain around Christianity. 
Or maybe you're trying to talk about the faith to your family member or friend or a neighbor. And you believe that if you could just come up with a logically persuasive argument, that one aha moment, that gotcha moment, then, then this person would accept Christ. Then this person would become a Christian. But what you are subtly communicating to people is that Jesus points you to the truth, but not that he himself is the truth. If, if truth is not personal, then it is something that you've got to rigorously study for. You've got to make sure you have airtight arguments. And you've got to make sure you maintain it throughout the course of your life. But if truth is personal, all that matters is that you know the truth. Jesus is also saying that, that the truth is personal, and this is important because if the truth is, is given through some sort of rigorous law code that you must follow perfectly so that your, your body fits in conformity with some sort of a greater purpose in this world so that you know the truth, then the only way to know God would be to put your body and your life in complete conformity to him. Some of you believe this. You think, oh, the reason I deal with doubts is because I'm plagued by sin. Jesus is the truth. All that matters is knowing him. Jesus is the truth. Ours is a culture that says the way to find the truth is to look inside of you. What makes your heart sing? Where do you feel like outside culture is putting conformities on you, putting you in a box? Liberate that thing. Whatever's inside, make it come out. Then you will know the truth. How has that been working out for us? My guess is if you check the suicide rates and the level of antidepressants, we haven't found the truth yet. Jesus is saying the way to know the truth is not by looking inside of yourself, though there is some merit to doing this. It's by first looking to me. And when you look to me, you're going to understand who the Father is, and you're going to understand what it actually means to be human. Now, just as a caveat, and I feel like I'm saying something along these lines every week, but I'm going to say it again. By Jesus saying that he is the truth, this doesn't mean that you and I, as followers of Jesus, somehow have a monopoly on truth. That we're somehow the arbiters of truth, and, and a subtle message has been sent, and I don't know whether this is the fault of the media or this is the fault of the internet age, but a subtle message has been sent to the wider world, especially here in Toronto, that the Christian community is so arrogant, that they, they, they're such know-it-alls, that they actually are convinced that they know public health policy better than others. And they have, they, th- this message has been sent that, you know, through Christians sort of mocking things like masks and public health measures, this message has been not so subtly uh, sent that Christians aren't humble people. In fact, they're very arrogant, and they think they know everything. Again, I won't weigh into the merits of why we've gotten to this point, but what I will say is we have a lot of work to do to show people that by saying Jesus isn't the truth, this doesn't in any way, shape, or form mean that we have a total lock and comprehension of the truth. But what it means is that when we go to Jesus, we understand what it means to be a human, what it means to be alive. Jesus saying he is the truth doesn't mean he's going to give us the answers on the lab leak theory or he's going to give us the best public health care approach as it relates to dealing with COVID in a city like ours. No way. But what it does tell us is that in Jesus we will find those answers about what it means to be alive, what it means to be able to sleep at night with peace, what it means to be connected and harmoniously with our creator. And we have got to come back to the humility that Jesus' claim demands of us if any of our neighbors are ever going to be interested in exploring Christianity. My guess is this arrogance, which they have heard through the internet, through the news, COVID's fake, you know, this, this Christian pulpit mocking COVID, has put people in a place where they think, my goodness, if these people have access to the truth, I don't want anything to do with them. Imagine you lost a loved one and you've seen these clips online of pastors mocking COVID. Jesus is saying, he is the truth. 
This demands of you an incredible humility, but a humility that doesn't tell people we have all the answers, but points people to Jesus. Points people to Jesus. I hope my point is clear. Jesus is saying he is the truth, which means he's more than just a teacher for our intellectual pursuits. Of course, I'm going long again. Let's conclude our time by what Jesus is saying he is, the, he is the way, and by saying, or he is the life, sorry, and by saying this, he's saying he's more than just a doctor administering medicine for our illness. Jesus is making the claim when he says that he is the life, sorry, I don't know if I've said the way or the life, but Jesus is saying he is the life, and what he's saying is this, is that you are on a collision course with death, and in fact, the Bible says your death has actually started. You're just waiting for the completion of its cycle in your life. The Bible would say that we are born with some sort of spiritual deadness, that disconnected from home, that, that alienation from our Father. This is why we always feel frustrated. We're always trying to wonder, what should we be doing? We know that death is coming at the end of our life, but my goodness, I don't have to tell a group of middle-aged people what it feels like to be frustrated, not knowing what your purpose is. That's a glimmer, a taste of this death that the Bible tells us has come to all of us because we are alienated from our Creator, from the source of purpose and unending life. We are disinterested in reconciling with our Creator, and because of that, our lives are a life marked by confusion of purpose and ultimately death. There's no deep vitality in any one of us. And Jesus is saying he is the life. All major religions say there is some sort of eternal power bank somewhere that if you can just plug into it, then you will taste of the good life. You will taste of life unending. Vitality will start channeling to you. Most of the major religions say you can start that now. It will come at your death. Jesus is saying, though, that there is this power bank, <laughs> that with his heavenly father, the one who gave you life in the first place, that set the whole universe into motion, that in him is life unending. There is that access to power. But what Jesus is saying is we have an inability to plug into it apart from him. He is the way. Maybe I'll illustrate it this way at risk of being cheesy. Uh, I recently got a new iPad. And of course, what comes along with a new iPad? If you're an Apple owner, you know exactly what I'm going to say. A new device that has to plug into it that's different from the one like two generations ago, okay? So now I have a USB-C cord. I know it's fairly universal. I just don't have any products that needed it up to this point. So I have to now have a USB-C uh, device to charge up my iPad. But what's the problem with that? I probably have a hundred of these little converters laying around the house which allow me to plug a USB port, uh, USB regular old school USB uh, into the wall so that my devices can charge. But now those are rendered obsolete for this new iPad. Why? Because I have to have a special wall converter which would allow the USB-C to go into the wall so that the energy which is flowing into my house can, can be converted in such a way that it now flows into my iPad. Listen, here's what Jesus is saying. He's come to earth. He is fully God, absolutely connected with the one who created this world, who created the planets, who created the cosmos, absolutely tapped into this source of unending life. In fact, he is the word spoken in which all things came into being. He is 100% God, but he's also 100% human. He's got flesh and bones, just like the people who are listening to him at this time, just like you and me. He knows all of our weaknesses. He knows what it's like for a brain to have to learn and comprehend. And here's what he's saying. He's saying that life that exists in heaven, that unending power bank, it's got to be converted into you and to your life now. And you've spent so much of your time unplugged and disconnected from your creator that there is now no way to link up the, the source of power with yourself anymore. It'd be like plugging a USB-C plug right into the wall. It is not going to work. But by being fully human and fully God, he's come to convert the power 
He's come to take that life that is unending in heaven to be the means of conversion so that it can come to the human race yet again. He's saying, I am the life. Come to me and you will find life unending. Yes, at the end of your life, taste of life unending at your resurrection when all things are made new. But even now, get glimmers and taste of that power, that's that, that energy that comes from heaven as you get connected with your purpose, as you understand what it means to be human, as your, your hardened heart gets softened and you find yourself caring for people that you previously despised. Come and taste that life unending now before it's too late. This ha- you have access to this through Jesus. He is the life. He's not just a doctor who's going to put you on eternal life support. He's come to be the doctor and the life support. He's come to be the doctor and the medicine. He's come to be the, the means through which that life in heaven can be converted and trans- transmitted into your life even today. He is the life. And maybe as I wrap this thing up, what have I been trying to argue? I've been trying to argue this, that Jesus came to provide a full and thorough salvation for people who were unaware of how badly they needed a Savior. And he came saying that he's the way. And yet only in a couple of hours, a couple of days, he'll be carrying the crossbeam of a Roman crucifixion device as he goes down the way many criminals have gone before towards his execution. He says he's the truth. He'll be brought up on trumped-up charges. His own family won't believe in him. He says he's the life. And in only a couple of days from the moment he says this, his corpse will sit in a tomb, cold to the touch, lifeless. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he came to give to you the way, the truth, and the life. But by, by giving of his life, he is upending and transforming everything the world knew about how power would come to you, about how you would find your way, about how you would know the truth, about how you would taste and experience life. By him surrendering and giving his life, he's upending all that you know to be normal. And he's doing this so that you can quit wasting your life trying to figure out the best guide to lead you along the way. You can quit wasting your life assuming that if you just find the truth that you'll be fine and be at peace. You can quit wasting your life chasing youth. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he came and he gave of his life that this unending life might flow out to you. All you have to do is trust. All you have to do is believe. Maybe even now in the quiet of your heart as we pray, all you have to do is ask him to make himself known more clearly to you. He will hear your prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you came not just to direct us towards a way in which salvation may be experienced, but from beginning to end, you came to provide salvation for us. We are a hopeless people. Father, reveal yourself personally to each and every one of us. Make yourself known clearly, especially hear the prayers of my sisters and brothers in their seasons of confusion and doubt and pain as they want to know you more. Reveal yourself more that they might know the way, the truth, and the life even today. I ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.